It's extremely important in this business. Don't believe everything Google Maps and Google Earth tell you. Okay, because those pictures might have been taken in 07. They might have been taken in 2019. They might have been taken in 2013. These are extremely variable properties and you need to make sure that you have someone trusted who's gonna go look at the asset. All right, guys, welcome again to another amazing episode today. We have Hirsch Wright and Nicholas Vu. Uh, they are managers, uh, general managers at the Veteran Pride Group, fresh out of the Naval Academy. So we have some act active duty uh, service, service members here. Um, one of them is a cybersecurity individual, and the other one is going to go off to pilot training. You know, that was a huge dream of mine until my eyes found out my eyes were jacked up. So, <laughs> so go crush it, man. Both of you starting off your careers fresh, but also what we're going to dive in is you're also very young and already found not just real estate, but commercial and multifamily towards financial freedom, which I think is huge because, you know, it, it I mean, mo most people start house hacking, one home residential, but you guys know, you guys are going all out, you know, and, and what got, what got you there? How did it attract you? And yeah, tell us that story. How did you get into it? Okay. Well, yeah, thanks. Um, thanks Austin, Darren, for having us on here. Um, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Actually, that's the first thing we looked at and real estate. When we first heard about real estate, we looked into VA house hacking and that was pretty much our entry point into um, multifamily investing. So first of all, we never thought about someone my age and our experience could ever invest in apartments. We just thought, hey, may as well go buy a new house and um, rent a first duty station and live in it rent-free. And that seemed like a very viable strategy and something we actually still want to pursue in the future. But it wasn't until we met a man named Colby Bowers. Um, he kind of introduced us to um, the realm of commercial multifamily. He kind of took us under his wing and started teaching us all about uh, the business itself. And we started off as like basic underwriters for him, where every single deal he looked at, we looked at first as like a first glance. And then we sent it off to someone a lot more experienced than us. And she kind of just walked us through and taught us what he did wrong and right. And over this iterative process, got more and more involved in the business. Um, now we do more than just underwriting. We do every aspect, including asset management, capital raising, um, and that stuff. And Hirsch, would you like to add stuff on that? Yeah, sure. So I can backtrack uh, a little bit, you know, going back almost a year ago now, um, you know, I, we were at the dinner table one day and I was like, Nick, we have way too much time on our hands. Uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned, you know, we were, we came straight out of the academy, came to grad school and, you know, we were working on our research and we were doing all the academic stuff, but, you know, the normal program or the normal schedule that we used to maintain of waking up early and then going to bed whenever we were deemed to do so was non-existent. You know, our, it was our own hours, our own time being in this role in grad school. So I had always looked at alternative investing, you know, aside from the regular stocks, bonds, um, and mutual funds. And I went up to Nick and I said, Hey, what do you think about real estate investing one day at dinner? And he was like, I know, I know it's a great way to make money, but don't you need a lot of money to do it? So I said, you know, well, listen to bigger pockets. We started to look at active duty, passive income, you know, with the military house hacking book, again, like Nick mentioned, we, we figured out that Indiana is a great market. You know, I mean, you guys own in the Midwest. Uh, so, you know, we're also looking in the Midwest and we decided, all right, you know, let's look at student rentals. Uh, luckily, we didn't get into that now with the whole COVID-19 situation with student rentals and college, uh, college kids. But, you know, looking into it now, um, 
you know, like Nick said, we brought, uh, we were brought into the wing by, by Colby, who's a 23 year, uh, veteran in the air force. And he's doing this full time now. So, you know, learning from his vast experience and, you know, allowing us to join his team and learn the business has been really, really paid dividends for us to arrive where we are today. That is amazing guys. So let's talk about that experience with ADPI because I'm a huge fan. You know, we've talked to Tim Kelly in the past before, you know, at least our interaction with him has been nothing but amazing. Right. Um, did you, did you end up going into a mentorship with them as well or, or how did that work? Yeah, sure. So, um, shout out to June Shin class of 19 at the Academy. He's actually the one who got me interested into ADPI equity passive income. Um, we had talked about it frequently over the summer of 2019, you know, both being in Annapolis and, you know, just being, you know, being classmates and got introduced to the platform, didn't really take a serious look at it until I got to Purdue. And, you know, I used to just read the forums, didn't really make, uh, make any posts about myself, you know, just kind of browsed it. I added Nick later into the fall uh, as we both started to venture into our own journeys. And, you know, active duty passive income is where we actually started our uh, our journey with with Colby. Uh, and Nick can get into that. Yeah, sure. So like we we considered joining like the mentorship program and looked into that, but we kind of just ran out, ran into a post by Colby. It was actually a very random post. It was his first comment ever on the platform. Um, I think the post is asking about where people like invest in and he kind of mentioned the market he was interested in. And just from that single post had like a giant paragraph with tons of information. And we just, I just liked how he was so open about it. Like a lot of people were talking about underneath it. Oh, Hey, keep this a little secret or something like that. Colby responded like, Hey, I'm always looking for new partners and there's plenty of um, deals go around. I don't see why you should cut his throats. So we kind of really like resonated with that. So Kirsch actually reached them out on Facebook, added them, kind of sent a little message. And from then on, it led to a phone call, led on to this whole entire partnership. So once we got that going, we realized that um, maybe having a direct mentor, not necessarily having, having someone um, you're paying for, but as long as you have someone with experience teaching you, guiding along the way, um, we found that that has been successful for us. It doesn't work for everyone, but in our experience, um, that's what worked for us. Um, yeah. I think as long as you can add value to the team, like the big thing is that I think you can either join a team by paying in for a subscription and a mentorship service, or you could have a way to help that team out in any way possible. So for us, it was underwriting and later on future stuff. Okay, got it. Nice. What are you gonna say, Jeremy? You were like, "Why?" Like, no, I was gonna ask you. It's like, no, I, I was, no, no, no. I was gonna ask you. You answered the question before I even asked the question. I was gonna ask. It's like, uh, why do you think that he brought brought you guys under the wing, and what type of value do you you answer that you do the underwriting and um, and the fact that you approach them, you know, and, and probably the personalities uh, um, were compatible and all that stuff. But you answered that question. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's talk about a little bit about you. You met him and then, you know, you started learning more about that process. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. You either pay to play or, you know, someone actually takes you under the wing. Uh, but somehow you need to pay somehow with value, right? So for you guys, you know, I, I think that's amazing. And I think, I think part of it is because you're young too and you're eager to learn and you're coachable, right? A lot of people aren't coachable. They can't take direction because 
they think they, they're too senior or they should already be on top, right? Like it's just a whole different mindset when you're coming in fresh and that's, that's really great. So do you guys, did you guys from there, you know, establish a company or just a work relationship? How does, how does veteran pride fit it, fit in? Sure. I can, uh, I can highlight on that. So veteran pride investment group is actually the firm that Colby headed up and he started. Um, and so, you know, with veteran pride investment group, um, Colby has started that company back in 2017, shortly after he retired from the military and, you know, their large mission is to give back and donate to, uh, veteran homelessness and first responder charities. Currently, you know, they're donating about 20% of their profits to that. And, you know, that mission really resonated with Nick and I, um, you know, being part of the military coming from, you know, first generation American backgrounds, immigrant stories, you know, being able to give back to those who provided for us really, really struck us and, you know, aligned with Colby's mission and his values. And that brought us under his wing into joining the company, um, you know, as, you know, as a, you know, underwriters to start out with and then evolving into a full-time partnership where, you know, any deal we bring is our deal. It's his deal. Any deal that he finds is his deal, our deal. And, you know, it goes both ways. You know, we have a mutual respect with each other. That's just grown um, from the time that we started this relationship back in last December to now. Sweet, man. No, that's really, that's really great stuff. So let's talk about your deal flow and, and how you proceeded from there to find, to provide that value. Cause you're also on the right you're also doing deal flow. So what was your thought process and where did you even think of doing? Cause I know we've talked about it. Where do you even think of doing that? Cause that's something we've done in the past, but we, you know, we had to do research. What did you, how did you sum up on it? Sorry. Um, can you like, I kind of like misunderstood the question, I guess. Like, so you're asking about how we get our deals or how do we get into finding multifamily deals? Well, yeah. So, you know, previously talking with, with Hirsch, you know, we talked about, you know, how amazing your deal flow really was. And it, it is impressive to see how much of it, you know, how, how quickly you got so many deals, right? Especially in Indiana. Um, talk a little bit about the process of finding the deals uh, and actually, you know, getting them under contract. Because from what we talked about with Hirsch, you know, that, that is a strategy that's used, but it's not as common. And I even went back and asked her, like, hey, just double checking, where did you get your list from? How are you doing it, right? Because I want to compare and, and learn from you guys because you, you did something right, right? And it doesn't matter if you're new or you're old, you did something right. So how did you f- find your path? How did you figure out that was a way for you to do it? And tell us a little bit about the process. Yeah. So I can start with this and then Nick can follow on. Um, so, you know, like we talked about in our previous discussion, you know, being in the Midwest, we had found out that this is one of the best markets to invest in, right? Everyone says the Southeast, everyone says Florida, Texas, but you know, the Midwest is commonly overlooked, you know, just because it's not insane rent growth. You know, you're not going to have a $500 rent bump in one year, like you might in San Francisco, if Facebook decides to build a new hub in Menlo park. Right. Um, but we decided that, you know, since we're in the Midwest, we might as well use this opportunity to start looking at properties. And, you know, when Nick and I first had started before anything with Colby, we had learned the process of, you know, pulling different 
list from local tax assessors offices. Those have been, you know, the greatest forefront uh, that has led us to find deals. You know, we, that's how we started. So basically, we started at the Tippecanoe County, uh, which is where West Lafayette is, which is where Purdue is. And from there, we were able to get a list based on, you know, different tax codes of the city. Um, at first, we were starting with residential multifamily, so two to four units. They have those um, listed. We pulled that list. Uh, we learned how to do uh, skip tracing, uh, you know, just the basic how to skip trace an LLC, go on the state secretary's website, um, being able to identify the owner's phone number and their address. And, you know, the way that Nick and I initially started was we used to send out a letter, uh, you know, a personalized letter. We would sign all of them. We would date all of them. We would uh, address all of them and then we would send them out. And then, you know, since we already had those phone numbers skip traced, what we would do is we would, um, you know, skip trace those numbers and call them about three to six weeks later. We would say, hey, you know, my name is Nick Vu or Hirsch Rye. And, you know, we're calling and this is what we're looking for. Um, you'd you like to uh, tell us more about your property. But what we realized is in this process is that, you know, we don't always want to be asking for something. It's also about learning and developing relationships. You know, so talking with Oscar, it was, you know, we were able to connect with the largest developer and uh, property owner, uh, I think, in all of Purdue. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a 1998 grad from Purdue and he has massively grown his real estate empire. We were able to connect with him and actually walk through a deal with him. So, you know, it's just about fostering the connections, asking people about what their experiences is, what kind of relationships they've formed in the market. That's really helped us capitalize on our relationships and our deal flow. And I think Nick can talk more about the multifamily perspective uh, and where we are now. Yeah. So I guess most of our deals that kind of look at we're from these off-market deals where we find these properties skip trace them and contact the owners directly and try to get them to sell direct to us um, i guess recently we have started um getting more involved with brokers um, we actually realized that a lot of brokers don't take you seriously until you meet them in person so we when we actually did due diligence for a property that um, we just went through um, we had the whole entire team come into indianapolis and we set up um, pretty much in between or even after our inspections we would have these lunches, coffee dinners, and dinners with um, various brokers in Indianapolis. And I meet them one-on-one, -on -one, we get to see them in person, shows them that we're serious about this market. And it really kind of increased the deal flow because um, we now have this personal connection with that broker. Um, they even told us how um, this one broker has hundreds of calls like a week. And pretty much all these people say the same thing, like, oh, we love Indianapolis. And um, pretty much he's not gonna give his deals out to everyone who calls him. Um, it wasn't until we kind of met him in person where he kind of took us seriously, showed us how dedicated we are in business. And that's when he started saying us a lot more deals. So I guess some of the, our deals have come from brokers as well. Um, and yeah, it's definitely building that personal connection with them is um, a big piece of that. So I guess our deals come from a mixture of these off-market through script tracing and various methods and lists and this um, broker relationship and kind of building that boost on the ground um, relationship with your product managers, brokers, and the whole entire in-person team uh, is really helpless as well. Can you, can you go through the, because uh, I, can, I can actually uh, relate to what you're saying in regards to go to that market and, 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 and put a face-to-face -face, uh, relationship. What was the process for you guys uh, contacting those brokers or contacting those property managers and, and be like, okay, now we're going to, to, uh, to, to that market. We're meeting all these people. Uh, what was the process for that, for you guys to do that? Because we deal with that and, and we are, um, distance 
uh, investors, right? Long distance investors. And, and there's a lot of people that do that too, but they do it, you know, they do it over the phone. They do it online. They don't, they don't actually fly to the, uh, to the, to their market that they're interested in. So what was the process? How do you guys come up with the, uh, Hey, let's, let's fly out there and let's meet, let's meet the, uh, the brokers. Yeah. So like, I guess, um, a lot of these brokers I've been talking to beforehand, um, it's actually one of the brokers I got connected through a property manager. I connected through a phone call um, off, off of LinkedIn, actually. So it's just kind of adds on to the fact of how important building that network and those relationships are. They lead to kind of accessing those networks as well. And it really expands your um, your, your breadth for just um, contacting maybe a single person. So I guess some of the brokers I got in contact were kind of referrals um, to different people. And I guess other brokers... Um, you could also look up, I guess, on LoopNet, um, a list of brokers in the area. You can sort by maybe the top brokers in the area and just call them, I guess. But I guess from our experience, and it wasn't um, the people who've been referred to had a lot better, better connection. And once I had the email, phone numbers, um, I was able to email them before we headed out and schedule that call. And I guess because we had that kind of basic introduction before, they were able to more take me more seriously and actually meet us in person. Here's your point add on. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, one thing to highlight on that is that, you know, whenever you start contacting brokers in a low, in an, in an off market, you know, somewhere that's nowhere close to you, you know, six, eight, 12 hours away, via drive, some of them won't take you seriously. And that's why it's super important to know the information beforehand. You know, like Nick mentioned earlier, there's, there's brokers that gets hundreds of calls a week, you know, because whatever seminar out there or whatever, uh, you know, mentor, uh, that you're paying is telling you, oh, just call brokers are going to come give you deals. But that's not how it works. We all know that. Right. You know, you want to make sure that you understand the market fundamentals. You understand that, you know, is it street by street? Is it block by block? Is it, you know, uh, district by district? What is the population growth? Where are the areas happening? And, you know, that's where it really comes down to who have you talked to before the broker? Do you know someone in the market? Are you have you been to the market before? Is it in your backyard? Is it somewhere that you grew up? You know, these questions are ones that you want to consider before you even pick up the phone and try calling brokers. And, you know, having that established relationship and saying, you know, Nick and I are on the ground, we're in Indiana, we can come drive down in an hour and come meet you guys, set a pretty big precedent on top of, you know, the team coming out from California, Colorado, Pennsylvania, coming to do due diligence on a, on this asset we were talking about, and, you know, putting in a, a name to a face or a face to a name, right? It's, it establishes a credibility and a rapport with that broker beyond what a normal person might do. Because, you know, how many people are going to take the time and the energy and spend the money to fly out? Not everyone's going to do that. So you need to show that you're serious and that you're dedicated in this business. Otherwise, nobody's going to take you seriously. I mean, you know, we're 23 years old and Nick and I have tried to set ourselves apart. But again, it's very difficult because brokers are very respected in what they do. And, you know, they, of course, they everyone wants the deals that they get, but you need to prove yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. We couldn't agree more. Yeah. And what, what deal size are you, are you specifically looking at? There is a, there's a sweet spot for, and every market is kind of different, but there's a sweet spot for off market deals. And then there's a definitely you have to go through a broker. So what are you guys mainly focusing on? What range? So, you know, again, it's market dependent, but, you know, let's focus on Indianapolis for the, for the sake of this, um, for Indianapolis specifically, we look at, you know, for our cold call campaigns, we do anything from 20 units all the way to 200 units. 
but we know that everyone who's calling brokers is always asking for 100 units and above. So there leaves a very nice niche between the 30 to 80 unit range. And we found a lot of deals via brokers that have been sent to us. Now, again, not every single broker deal is going to pencil out. In fact, the majority right now are not because so many different investors have looked at them. But, you know, as sake of what we're looking at, we're looking at anything between 20 to 200 units. And what's great is that we've established partners and connections in these local markets who we might be able to partner with to take down these larger assets. Because, you know, this is a team sport, as everyone knows, or a team business. And, um, you know, we want to put our best effort forward with the sponsors we trust, partners we trust, and knowing that investor capital is going to the right place for a lucrative investment. Nick? I mean, I guess you just covered it right there. Yeah, the 20 to 100 or 20 to 200. Um, I mean, yeah, we've, I guess, more recently gone more of the lower end um, of those deals or those number accounts um, off the, the cold call list and the um, the brokers too. But I mean, we're open to anything and I think we're confident in our team and also the partnerships we can build to take on essentially any deal. So appreciate that pretty well. Okay. So you guys mentioned um, you had, I remember last time, several deals on the contract or going into contract uh, due diligence. You know, let's talk about maybe one of the deals and, you know, just mention, hey, how has that due diligence gone? You know, what have you found? What what learning points can you tell the audience? Like what, seriously, I mean, that's huge, right? Due diligence, I mean, yeah, we could tell you horror stories during due diligence. So I'm sure you have some too. You know, just yeah. um, some nuggets so I guess, there. I mean, just the property we just looked at right now where um, essentially, well, I'm a 30 unit, 39 unit in um, Martinsville, Indiana. So just like a little sub-market, tertiary market of Indianapolis that we just had under contract and actually just got out of it today. But that's what we did um, due diligence for here in Indianapolis. And I guess there's a lot of pros and cons of getting these off-market deals and these mom and pop shops. Um, so like typically, or sometimes, um, some of these people are not really well-versed in, I guess, real estate investing. This person owned it for maybe 28 years. And he's kind of what we describe as your typical slumlord, where he didn't really take care of the property at all. He just saw it as a easy cash flow, um, easy money every single month. Um, not really caring about the maintenance and the upkeep of, and even the livelihoods of his tenants. So when we saw the property, there are a lot of things that kind of stuck out, like a lot of things that um, the seller wasn't really straight up with us. Um, he kind of hid a lot of aspects of it and told us things that weren't really true. Like, oh, I replaced the roofs 10 years ago, but our inspector and the roof inspector said all the roofs need to be replaced. So it's, it's like all these damages and these little kind of half- fixes that he did and we kind of walked each unit noticed like rotted subfloors um roast like cockroach infestations there's really like a form meth lab that they kind of try to hide in one of their units too um this is i don't know we kind of we did our due diligence we even met with the like local police chief the talked with the fire department talked with the city board and we kind of built that relationship with the the county themselves and they even from that, they kind of gave us tons of information to the property because they've been to this property many times before, um, which is also oh, another wow. red flag. Um, the chief police talked about it a good amount. Even the deputy chief, he's like, oh, this is the one actually we arrested that person before. So just, oh. um, yeah, during due diligence, we kind of, it was great having us all there. And we kind of, uh, it would have been a great deal if the seller was upfront. And if all the things that he said were true, uh, were actually true. 
yeah. but because of all things he hid from us, um, it ended up falling through. So I guess that's one of the I guess pros and cons of due diligence is that you really get to see the property and find out for yourself what was true about the property. And yeah, also stresses how important that aspect of is it. Like if we just bought this as is, whereas without really doing that due diligence piece, we would have walked into essentially a nightmare to deal with, trying to deal with, I guess, I don't know. There's someone's you shouldn't see some of the pictures of these units here. You see cockroaches, like one almost hopped on a Colby's back. Oh some my of the God. walls were like completely brown and just I don't know. It's a very, very eye-opening experience seeing how people live in those conditions, but yeah, some uh, reality of this sometimes. Here's some hop in there. Yeah, if you guys don't mind. Um, that's what I'm gonna say. It's <laughs> extremely important in this business. Don't believe everything Google Maps and Google Earth tell you. Okay, because those pictures might have been taken in 07. They might have been taken in 2019. They might have been taken in 2013. These are extremely variable properties, and you need to make sure that you have someone trusted who's going to go look at the asset. So in this case, when Nick and I first made that call back in June, we were excited. You know, we're like, we got 39 units. It's a, you know, it's a C area. Little did we know it was a D plus asset. It's a, it's a solid asset, but, you know, the tenant base wasn't exactly where we wanted it to be for, you know, that type of care that the property owner had showed it. And, you know, so when Nick and I went to go look at it, you know, we looked at the outside and we said, okay, you know, we can work with this. It's not too bad. You know, they, you know, we're not roof inspectors by any means, but, you know, we looked at them. It looked like they were in good shape. They didn't look too bad, but again, you know, we are new investors, right? So we don't, we, we haven't been through this cycle, you know, 95 times around the earth. So you know, when we went to go look at it, we said, wow, value add potential is here. We definitely can do this X, Y, Z at a dog park, whatever it might be, right? For 39 units. And, you know, then we started to do our underwriting. The underwriting looked good. So we said, okay, it meets all the industry criteria. All right, let's, let's put this to, you know, let's submit an LOI. Let's get it under contract. We got it under contract after six weeks. It took six weeks to get this thing from contract, from LOI to PSA. What do we have baked into our LOI? Seven days to get that done. So clearly it tells you from the get-go how, how much of a nightmare this was initially. But, you know, we said, let's progress. Let's at least look at the deal. Let's all meet. Let's see how it is. And, you know, that's what Nick said about, you know, defining the, you know, going through the due diligence is so important. And, you know, we had, we even had our attorney go look at the property. All right. Our attorney volunteered to go drive the property and look at it because he's local, more local than Nick and I. And he said, you know, it, it looks all right. You know, Martinsville, it's a, it's a, it's an all right market. And I think there, you know, there's some damage that can be done here to, to improve it. But, you know, like with all the problems that Nick highlighted, we just, we ended up uh, throwing them a Hail Mary, seeing if they would accept it, you know, because any deal will be good at, you know, whatever the numbers look at. But uh, unfortunately the Hail Mary was not accepted. So we will be moving on from this deal. But I mean, Hey, that was just one experience of many. And, you know, you're going to come across those properties and, you know, for our first one, great. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a success, but that failure, I don't take it as a failure. I take it as a learning opportunity to learn so many more new things. I mean, I got to meet my team in person. I got to interact and see, you know, different types of people, a different tenant base, a different area. So, you know, I, I'm very appreciative of what we got through this experience. Yeah, I'll add on to that, like the importance of having a really good attorney as well. Because um, our lawyer really stood up for us. Like for our PSA, we had think what 60 days or something for due diligence and our money never went hard even after due diligence <laughs> due diligence so we had like almost no i guess 
real risk on our, our money being lost besides we have lawyer fees and inspection fees. But yeah, nice. So your your earnest money wasn't. Uh, yeah, never went hard. <laughs> no, all right. No. That's no. yeah. I mean that that's good, and that that's something that we make sure we do too. Because yeah. a lot of times, I mean, people just make money off of getting on their contract. Like, oh like, yeah, like they'll all just the do that, and then oh, that doesn't really make. But what man, money? What you'll see though is it's interesting, right? You know, a lot of these broker deals that are really good right? You know, let's say you get a broker deal, you're going to have 30, 40 bidders on it. And you know, the top guy is going to put 200 K hard day one, you know, th 45 days, 30 days to close. And it's like, how can you compete with that? You know, that, I mean, that's a yeah. question that, yeah, you can't, right. You know, small shop buyers, you can't do that. So, you know, you gotta, that's why these off market deals are so important as yeah, you guys yeah. obviously know. So. Yeah, no, and it's, it's not a, it's not an easy thing to do, especially right now. I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot of you know, compressed cap, cap rates. I think I told you that last time. So it's a weird market, right? I mean, a lot of people are saying we're we're in a in a peak. No one has a magic ball, but you also don't want to buy <laughs> at a peak, right? And that yeah. makes it a scary thing because if you do, you know, <laughs> you're at the wrong end of the coin. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No. So you answered a question before that. I kind of was thinking. So you guys. You guys were comfortable with a C area? I mean, because I, I mean, we, we're pretty familiar with the Midwest. So when you talk C, a C area can really range. It could be like a C or normally it's like a C that has characteristics of a D or even an F. D, yeah. Right? So were you guys not kind of familiar with that piece? Was, was your, the rest of your team not familiar with Indianapolis because – I mean, you usually, I mean, you can, you can just find some data on that pretty quick. So, there no you know, data? So, so, you know, being a tertiary market in Indianapolis, there's, there's, there's data, right. But that's why we had taken the extra measures to contact the local chamber of commerce, the County yeah. board, the local PD. And, you know, when you hear about an asset, that's this disheveled, we, it just screams opportunity to us. Right. And, you know, something I like to describe Colby as is, you know, Optimism screams opportunity. Colby is extremely optimistic and he likes to look at deals from every single point of view possible to make yeah. the deal work. Right. And you know, that's something that Nick and I are still learning to embrace. I'm not going to say we're there yet, but we're still learning to embrace. And, you know, him being our mentor, we followed and we said, you know, this this looks like a, a great opportunity. Let's let's at least dive into it. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people are hesitant right now with C housing, but Again, there are areas where, you know, this was right. This property is actually sitting right on the gentrification line. You can clearly see they built a new bridge actually in June of 2020 this year that goes to an all new shopping plaza, you know, Walmart, PetSmart, gotcha. all new restaurants, you know, and, you know, a, a new development community for senior housing. So, you know, we weren't too worried, you know, because this area was transitioning from a solid C to more of a, you know, I'd say, I don't know, Nick, B minus, but. Okay. So opportunity you know, zone. It was necessarily an opportunity zone, but it was more of, you know, it's, it's coming, right. The gentrification is going to happen once that bridge, yeah. you know, but there's actually, there was supposed to be an expansion of a highway. We don't have to get into that, but you know, there's going to be a lot more traffic in that area um, from what we knew. So, you know, looking at all the local facts, talking with local investors, we were able to get all the facts we needed to move forward. Yeah. Also, like, yeah we, we did raise concerns. Like, of course, we're like, it's a C asset. Like I'm always, I guess I'm the pessimist of the group here where I've, I've been, Stop just trying to say from the beginning of the day, hey, this is a lower income area. This is X, Y, and Z. 
<laughs> and I guess just having these different perspectives on their team just really, I don't know. I, yeah. I kind of like it because we're not leading towards one way or the other. Like we are open to all these opportunities, but I guess we also are really conscious and even the conservative yeah. underwriting, we kind of baked in a lot of vacancies because, hey, say if you come in and say half the people left and how would that look? And it's still penciled out okay, assuming that all the issues that were hidden were not there. Like if, I don't know, if we factored in what we would have expected from um, things he, they, the, the sellers told us, um, it would have been a really, really great deal um, at the price yeah. we offered them at. It's just the fact that Honestly, I'd say the straight up lies that they told us is what kind of led to the deal falling apart. Like I, I would have, if they're honest and upfront and I would have loved investing in a C-class asset because of all of that opportunity with the, the highway, the, the new development across the street. But yeah, just, just dealing with those other issues um, that came up kind of killed the deal really. I was really, really excited for it. Numbers look great. Um, Another one with, will come, man. Another one will come. Don't. Oh, yeah. Don't even worry about it. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to know this on the powerful duel that you guys have. Who's who? Who does what? And how do you guys complement each other? So you know, it's not a Rod Cleef Roberts and Thaler aspect, right? You know, where huh. Nick and I are pretty complementary uh, as it is, but you know, we can do all roles. You know, there'll be days where Nick's like, "I got six calls," and I'm like, "All right, I'll underwrite." Or I got, you know, I, I'll say, all right, I got six calls. Nick's like, all right, I'll underwrite. You know, but primarily I would say that, you know, Nick is definitely the financial guru uh, between the both of us. You know, I can underwrite. Do I enjoy it? Eh, that's debatable. But, you know, I think Nick, uh, Nick likes to play around with the scenarios. I'll let him speak to that. But, you know, I like to get out there, you know, network with people, learn what they're doing, how they're doing it, see how I can contribute, see how we can develop partnerships and, you know, to just continue to, you know, do market analysis and things like that. But Nick. Yes. Yeah, so I guess how we, I think we kind of structure a team is that we each know how to do each other's roles, have an experience in, say, I, I, have, I know how to talk with people, um, get phone calls, solicit, say, um, investors and stuff, but that's not necessarily my strong suit. Like I might be more of the underwriter of the team, but I think we have it set so that everyone, the team, let's say if I were, Cause I guess in the future when I'm active duty, same with Hirsch, um, say I go on deployment for three, four or five months. Um, someone's going to have to pick up the psycho and pretty much everyone, on the team knows each other's roles and be able to take up. Kobe sometimes likes going hunting for a couple of weeks or a weekend and we have to pick up some of his work. So I think we all complement each other because we have our strong suits, but also have um, versatility to take up um, each other's work if needed. Sure, it's going to be a lot like harder when that happens, but um, it's the flexibility that it offers um, is what I like a lot about this team. So we have our, our little niches, but also expand as well. Nice. So let's talk yeah. about ca capital raising. So where are you guys at with that? Are you are you developing your own systems between the two of you, or are you doing it as that group with Colby? How, how's it working out? So... Yeah, for capital raising, you know, Nick and I have been able to develop our own network of investors um, just from friends and family and, you know, connecting with different investors who might not necessarily know too much about multifamily syndication. You know, just I've been able to reach out at least into the um, into the academy network. There's a lot of, uh, you know, older graduates, you know, from the respective academies, even even older military officers who 
have reached out, you know, heard from us on podcasts, uh, saw us on LinkedIn. And they're like, whoa, what is this? You guys are, you know, you guys are 23, you guys are active duty, but how are you doing this? So, you know, we've been able to develop our own network of investors, but, you know, any, any capital raise that we do, it's going to be with the team, I think, you know, moving forward, uh, you know, we are part of Veteran Pride Investor Group. That is who, you know, that we are managing partners of it. So, you know, any deal that, you know, we have our network is Colby's network, Colby's network is our network and, you know, whatever it else is for the rest of the team. But, Nick, if you want to expand on that. Yes, I guess um, we've, as you said, mentioned friends and family is a big one, but just reaching out to various people on things like LinkedIn. Um, we're trying to connect with certain higher net, um, net worth individuals and kind of educate some of these people about different aspects of um, multifamily investing. And we also try to host our, um, our, our webinars also, and that has brought in a lot of people from different backgrounds. Some people who are not really necessarily understand what um everything we're talking about but kind of brings them in um and allows them to network and also under learn more about the business and get more comfortable with investing and some people have reached out because of that as well um colby duffy does have his um network and pool from his previous experience and previous investments as well and he's definitely been able to tap into that network um, but for Hirsch and i we've done a lot of our own own methods of reaching out, whether it's attending different local meetups, uh, trying to hop on meetups in different states and different places as well. Um, that's and especially with um, with COVID nineteen. There's a lot of these things that are online. So a lot of networking events are through Zoom, and I've a lot, met a lot of people through various networking events um, who are interested in investing, and that's just definitely helped a lot. Cool. Here you guys. So uh, we're getting close to the end here. How? You know, I normally ask this about people who balance families, but how are you balancing your your work, your undergraduate stuff, everything you're doing, right? I mean, that's huge. Yeah. So, you know, being in, being in graduate school, you know, Nick and I are both actively working on master's theses on top of classes, um, on top of real estate, on top of long distance relationships. The list goes on, right? But, you know, what we learn or, you know, you know, being in the military, you learn how to do effective time management to the best of your ability. And, you know, it's something we learned coming out of the academy that, you know, you need to be able to time block for what your passions are. And, you know, so, you know, whether you have to wake up a little earlier, whether you have to go to bed a little later, you're able to set aside the time you need to put towards what you need to do. Now, again, right, we're not doing active duty careers right now. So we might have a little bit more time than you guys, right? But you do have to realize that, you know, if you're passionate about something and you really want to wake at work, you're going to make the time and the effort to do that. So that's how we've been able to balance it out. You know, I mean, class time is class time. Academic time is academic time. Work time is work time and play time is play time. You know, play time might have to get cut out, you know, in order to get everything you need to get done. But it is important to also, you know, take time for self-care and, you know, to step back when you need to. I will definitely emphasize that uh, at any age, not just not just being old or young. So yeah, absolutely, man. German, you got anything else? No, no, no. I, lo I love it. Um, I was going to go, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm curious because you said that, uh, that you're probably not as busy as we are, you know, being, being active duty. How, how are you guys planning on uh, managing that um, if you, whenever you uh, go into the active side? Yeah, deployment, so deployments and PCSing and all that stuff. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, so I guess we've had, we've had lots of talks about this um, with our team. Um, so for one thing, Hirsch is going on a short tour next. So he think he'll have 
some more free time. And also I'm going to a training command, um, which will definitely be a lot more busy than here, but might have some brief periods right there. But I know Colby is a full-time real estate person. Um, David is also like, he's kind of transitioning to that full-time real estate um, position. So kind of rely on our team. We kind of understand where we're at. Like Colby as a former veteran, he understands that, Hey, we're young officers. We have to do these obligations and kind of, start off our military careers as well. So he kind of understands our situation. Um, Monica and David, uh, they don't exactly maybe understand the military lifestyle, but they understand that, hey, like we might be a little bit more busy than usual. Um, that's kind of also cool how me and Hirsch kind of bounce off each other as well. Like sure, even the team, I think each of us combined can do the work of a single person, if not more. Um, we've definitely done that, hopefully exceeded um, expectations in the past few months, but yeah, so I guess to kind of rely on our team, rely on our partners, um, and kind of being transparent. Like, I, yes, I'm going to be busy here, but hopefully I have some time on weekends. Maybe I have time for after work or just find a way to make it work. Like Hirsch said, if you're passionate about it, you'll find some way to make make it work. Absolutely, guys. Yeah, and just keep that in mind because you both are going into very serious jobs, very demanding jobs, you know. That's true. So. I mean that. that yeah, but is, with that said, with that said, we wish you, you the best. It. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you guys are gonna crush it. Just uh, go at it, right? I mean, the same energy you put into that. Just, just don't get married. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> wait until no. wait until you're like 30, 35. <laughs> in, all, in all ser- in all seriousness. <laughs> nah, nah, man. Do whatever you want. But your time will be sucked. You know, all these long distance relationships, do real estate first. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, it's awesome to have you guys on. Um, could you tell the audience where they can find you? Sure. Um, I just want to say thank you so much, Oscar and German, for having us. It's been a pleasure. Um, to find me, this is Hirsch. You can find me on LinkedIn at Hirsch, H-E-R-S space R-A-I. I'm the only one you're going to find on LinkedIn, so it shouldn't be too hard. Oh, or you can catch me at my email, H-E-R-S-H at R-A-I-V-U, capital, with an A, dot com. So, thanks. Yeah, yeah so I, I can also reach on LinkedIn, um, Nicholas Vu, N-I-C-H-L-A-S, last name Vu. There's going to be a few of them, so maybe throw in Navy or Purdue. Uh, I just found, I just found you, so it was pretty easy to oh, find. So I guess it's pretty easy yeah. right there. Hopefully, you <laughs> have some mutual connections in the real estate business here. Yep. Uh, but you can also you can reach me by email, uh, um, Nick N I C K at Rivu Capital R A I V U C A P I T A L dot com. And you guys have a a webinar, right? Yeah, get, yes, get that's it out true, there. Actually, so Veteran um, so <laughs> Pride Investing Group. Um, if you check our website, veteranpride.org, um, there's also a link to the webinars we have, the recordings, and also the future one. Um, so the veteranpride.org slash webinar will take you to the sign-up link to our next webinar, which is actually um, next week on Monday. So awesome. Yeah, so one more pitch about the webinar. It's called the, uh, the Moves Meetup. So it's the multifamily opportunities via values, education, and socialization. Uh, and that's hosted by nice. us five. And uh, they're every other Monday uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern. So feel free to come join us. We look forward to having you guys there. Thanks. Are they, are uh, they recorded? Are they recorded so people can go and see previous previous webinars as well? They are. All the information is on uh, veteranpride.org. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing uh, your, your story, your adventure. And we look to seeing great things from you guys. And for the audience, leave us a five-star review. You know, show some love. Thank you so much.